Hi, and welcome to New Models. On last week's episode, we discussed Documenta 15, the Pentennial Art Exhibition in Kassel, Germany, which this year was curated by the Indonesian collective Ruangrupa and foregrounded a global array of artist communities. On this episode, we speak with an artist and writer central to our own community in Berlin, Kala Henkel, who, with her collaborator Max Pitagoff, has been holding down a key sector of the Berlin art world for some 15 years. Like us, Max and Kala are American expats, having lived for many years temporarily in Berlin and often emotionally between the U.S. and Germany or in some cosmopolitan state of meta-citizenship anchored by NYC, Berlin, London, and L.A. Many of you are probably already familiar with Max and Kella's work. Perhaps your own impressions of Berlin have even been shaped by the places that they've brought to life. Times Bar, the New Theater, the 2017-18 season of the Volksbühne Gruner Salon, when the meta-drama of Chris Durkan's brief directorship of the theater nearly caused the entire Berlin cultural apparatus to implode, and currently their spot on Lower Potsdamer Strasse, TV Bar. Maybe you've come across the photographs and photography-centric installations that Max and Kella have circulated as their white cube-ready art. Most recently, their artwork has turned towards more popular media. There is their TV serial, Paradise, which was partially shown during Berlin's Preis de National Gallery last fall. And then there is Kella's debut novel, Other People's Clothes, released last year by Scepter in the UK, Australia, and New Zealand, and Doubleday in the US and which got swiftly optioned for TV by Mark Gordon, producer of Grey's Anatomy, with Alexa Karolinski helping to adapt the book for screen. Running through all these formats and cultural waves has been the question of performance and its remediation, the creation of value through participation in a scene, and the redistribution of that network's image to a third-party audience. There is always this miss-on-a-beam feeling in Max and Kella's work, a making visible of the many stages that were always already on, and a kind of recuperation of presence therein. Knowing that every space Kella and Max create has a limited run, we wanted to record this episode within TV Bar. So you'll notice the audio sounds a little different because we did indeed record it in the bar, with Dan calling in from LA. One other note, we intended to record with Kella and Max together, but that plan was spelled by COVID, what else? In any case, I'm Carly Busta, joined by my co-host, Lil Internet, Daniel Keller. Our guest is Kella Henkel. Let's go now to TV Bar in Berlin. Berlin with Kella Hinkel, who is one half of the duo Kella Hinkel and Max Pitagoff. We also wanted Max to be here too, but uh, we hear that he has COVID or something COVID-like of some sort, so which is, I guess, very of our time. Yes. Um, In any case, Kella, hi. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here in TV with you guys. It's very sweet. We're very thrilled. This is totally long overdue. And um, (laughs) for those who are listening, could you describe TV Bar, like where we are right now and what it looks like? TV Bar is very much kind of like, 
a one-room dive that has checkered floors and two big windows that look out at Potsdamer Strasse, which is a really busy street, and I live upstairs, so I'm sort of like a medieval archetype of like the woman who lives above her bar. <laughs> and I, at this point, because the street is so busy, I think it sort of sounds like the ocean, and we're across the street from Atlantic Fish Laden, which has really amazing fish. So there's this sort of like Mediterranean thing that I've sort of like unhinged my brain and rearranged <laughs> myself around. <laughs> and so that's my version of TV bar. But yeah, we're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we just stay open from seven to very late, kind of depending on the mood. And all the bartenders are artists or musicians. And thank God they're all like younger than us. So they like don't mind staying up late. And yeah, it's a cool, nice crowd at this point. It's sort of coagulated into something that has a form, which is always funny to see if that happens or doesn't, and it does. Why is it called TV Bar? Why is it called TV Bar? Because it has a double life, and it's this piece that Max and I always wanted to make, and we never could figure out the sort of separation between church and state with kind Mm -hmm. of our practice of like, how do you have a social space, but also make work within it without feeling kind of overly manipulative of those who are in it. And so our idea was that TV bar would kind of be the solution where for us during the week, we would use it as a set. And so we filmed this TV show called Paradise and it's set, it's on 16 millimeter and expensive as fuck. So we can only shoot small pieces as we go. So yeah, it's set in this fictional bar and we use a mix of our actual bartenders and our friends and to kind of create this alternative space that is set in 2023 and the premise of the show is that there's an absent boss and the boss thinks of the bar as a tv station like a news Mm -hmm. station so they are constantly sending in texts for the bartenders to repeat so there's this sort of idea of like language and how language passes through people and there's a sort of revolt over the course of the show. But it's set in 2023 and so we always wanted it to end in 2023. Now we now know that we're going to have to close because the building was sold in real life and so that is now the ending of the uh-huh. TV show. So it's been a very funny practice of letting the bar, which is open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, impact the kind of false world that yeah. we're filming. And it's also like impossible to like really control the narrative. Yeah. The narrative of the show or the narrative of TV as a meta work in your... I mean, like, I think most people don't know it's a meta work, which is yeah. how we wanted it. Right. We really wanted the separation where people just think it's kind of a shitty bar in Potsdamer Strasse that their friends happen to be at. <laughs> and um, we've been very strict about preserving that boundary. We only show it while the bar is open in other bars. So like when we showed it in the museum, it was just like at other bars around the city. When you say that, you mean it was distributed on TV sets that were positioned in different nodes that were yes. interesting to you psychogeographically. Yeah, like Beer House yeah. Orban are these kind of bars yeah. that we've always been going to. And I think that kind of have a relationship to Berlin that is interesting for us. So, And since it was a silent film, yes. somebody could be at a bar just exactly. like you would watch basketball or something. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I really love this type of watching, this sort of passive. Yeah. And it also means that like somehow it like lives between like poetry and basketball. Totally. And like, you can zone out to it, which I appreciate. But yeah, so that is the space and it has two lives and uh, I think we're in between them right now yeah. sitting here and that's all right. <laughs> the I Google mean, reviews of the bar are very mundane. Yeah, what are they? They are. Did you They're get people to write normal. that? 
They're it's super like, normal, but it's amazing. So, like, and we're writing this into this next episode. Our neighbor upstairs really hates us. And he wrote us this amazing one-star review one night when he was angry. Like, <laughs> Can you um, reconstitute it? From <laughs> yeah, the I mean, actually, Max had to screenshot it because the only way we were able to see it is because Google emails you to let you know you have a new review. So Max could screenshot the email, but he had deleted it before we could go look at it. And it was like, <laughs> these antisocial assholes, but it was like in German. And it just like went off, but then he deleted it. We're putting all of that into the... <laughs> TV show and like David Liska plays the neighbor, which that's is, perfect. Is really fun. <laughs> so yeah, he deleted it and then he gave us a five star review. <laughs> it's been like it's really emotionally complicated. He just had a baby, so I'm giving him a lot of uh, room to uh, no. Um, he's delighted. We're closing. But I want to pick up on one thing you just said, which I think is key here. It's a plot point in the TV series where the absent boss of the bar gives his employees language to transmit to the customers and they have to in this forced way communicate these messages but of course the real message is always represented through gesture not just yeah. through words alone it's gestural yeah. or it's communicated through bodies or not just through magic words yeah. um, in one way I want to ask how that relates to your writings, of course, then. Well, I think it's really funny. I feel like Max and I finally found a practice that works. <laughs> um, and like Max learned how to use this 60 millimeter camera, which is basically like setting up a photo. You know, you have to like stand it on the tripod. It's sitting there. You only have so much time. It's film. So it kind of, and I guess we're also always involved in theater. So it's this sort of like perfect connection between theater where we can work with our friends and because they don't have to, learn any lines but because it's so expensive we can only do one shot so we right. still have to like invest ourselves in rehearsing so it's really between like theater photo and writing because then now I've learned all the texts I write have to be sort of re-edited based on the images because uh, you don't have to show something and say something. I feel like this must be a key to how Olivia Esaias works as well. Oh my god, yeah, I'm so obsessed. Me too, if you're I watching Irma Vep. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm like reading yeah. the scripts because I'm just like, how do you yeah. write like this? No, he, the writing is so good and the acting is really like disturbingly good in that. Yeah, and like again, there's like this miss on a beam, of course, of yeah. like acting and performing uh, yeah. and historical theater and silent yeah. film. And, um, but I, I mean, maybe this isn't true. I just read somewhere in passing that a lot of the dialogue is just impromptu. So there is suggested lines, but a yeah. lot of the dialogue you is can feel that. You yeah. really can. Yeah. Um, and you also realize that so much comes through gestures, like a small gesture of like trying to hit the lights off and you miss and you have to go back and do it yeah. again, but that shows a kind of Those tension. Those are my or, favorite parts right? of this film. Like, or the, like yeah. people get out of a car and they'll be like, Oh, uh, did you have a hard time following us? I didn't see you in the rear view mirror for a minute or two. I thought I might have lost you. And you're like, how do you sit down and write yeah. such a yeah. mundane yeah. lot? Like, that yeah. seems like way more difficult to write like the most mundane like bullshit than it is that to write language, big which drama. Seems right. Seems like quote unquote dumb language is actually more powerful because it's a better vehicle for the gesture. Well, it just feels also like honest. You right. get this feeling that you're watching something honest, which like is actually really destabilizing as a viewer. Like yeah. I find that I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Right, like right, I actually right. have this like kind of jerky excitedness when I watch it that yeah. I have with so few other things. Um, yeah, 
And it stars Alicia Vicklander. I don't know her name, yeah. Who is Nordic. And there's something about how she plays this character of an actress that's like really, really fucking amazing. What and do you see in it? I We're mean, obsessed. like, I am so curious about what his language to her as a director was. If he was like, do your thing, like, is she close to this character? Is she not so close? Right. And I think, like, I think Max and I in our work were always interested in, like, how do you set up a system in which someone can do a version of themselves? Right. And, like, in a way, you're making fun of yourself. But that's interesting, this, I mean, because, of course, Asias casts a character as himself yeah. in it as well, and he's very able to make fun of himself. Yeah, and in it's your, phenomenal. And it's yeah. phenomenal, and it's so real and cathartic. And in your work, both in other people's clothes, but also just in the, like, staging of a dive bar as an American expat caught between Berlin and some cosmopolitan art world, there is also self-roasting that's happening. Yeah. yeah, I think, like, humor is really key to all of our work. And, like, I think, like, Max and I take ourselves really seriously, and because of that, it's okay that we make fun of ourselves. <laughs> and I think also Asias has this. Mm. It's so serious, but it's like fucking hilarious. Yeah. Cause like it kicks at just the right, we don't, I don't, I'm not saying we do that as well, but that's I think what makes his work able to like shimmer. But with Max and I, theater is just so embarrassing and like, <laughs> that's what we do. Like, we make fucking theater. It's like, that's like the worst. I mean, and it's like, part of the reason we also never show documentation is because it's so fucking embarrassing. You know, there's nothing worse than a video of a play. And so like, <laughs> some of it is self-preservation when we were like, we're not going to release any documentation. You just have to be there. But then it makes it like mythic and cool. But yeah. then we have the responsibility of like trying to be mythic and cool, which we also aren't. So like, I think playing with comedy of expectations... I don't know. I think allowing theater to kind of be as like dorky as it yeah. is, but letting it have its moments of power when it needs to have it. I mean, it's very in our like common parlance cringe, but like then again, we're all doing theater constantly, right? Yeah. And we're continuously aware of our self performance. Yes. And over the trajectory of at least your time in Berlin, we've only become more aware of our self performance. Yeah. Like everything is auto fiction yeah, now, right? Is. I mean, like. Talking about cringe, I had an idea that felt very profound and that like, you know, I, I was thinking, isn't the problem of this whole era that we're all in, so deliberately engaged in this project of autofiction? But then I was like, wait, isn't that the human condition itself? Like, isn't every war, isn't every conflict, all of human history just about this clash of autofictions that people Russia's are trying to... <laughs> we're like desperate for myth building. There's yeah. this yes. like yeah. constant need to like, I love reading these writing self-help books. But like they just talk about the human condition because yeah. they're like, what do we want? What does a person yeah. want? What instigates a person to go on a journey <laughs> to make them find the thing they need? And it's like, it just feels like it's like some sort of expanded therapy, but then you're supposed <laughs> to like attach a narrative and write it down. And it's like, yeah, we're just on our like myth quest. Yeah. But we, so I think it's you who infected our greater community with the artist way. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't even me, it was someone else. But it's, and my mother had been doing it for like 30 years and I didn't know that. Yeah. Which is, The Artist's Way is this highly cringe book that yeah. also talks about God. So like big margarita rim of salt when you read it. <laughs> but it's like, if you are in like a need for like some like, I don't know, jacking the car or like shocking it, then like 
I believe in the morning pages, and I still do. I'm like blushing. Say what morning pages is, because we actually just, like, also. Free, yeah, I don't know this. You do freehand three pages in the morning before you like with your coffee. Meaning you write it with your hand with and, your hand and on a piece of paper, yeah. and you don't challenge yourself on what you're gonna write or what you're gonna do, and you just do it. And it's like, and then you don't look back at them. And I find it, it's like extraordinarily cleansing. It's like the master cleanse for my brain. It's like <laughs> taking a giant shit in the morning, and then you don't have to think about any of that. <laughs> And then you can move forward. And then it's funny. And then, like, the one good idea you remember. Like, right. I've never reread one of these pages, yeah. but I do it all the time. And what do you do with them afterwards? I just have this, like, zipper bag that's, like, filled with them. And it's like that. And, like, Max, you have to burn it if I die. Like, <laughs> this winter, when there's, yeah. like, when a out of energy fuel, shortage. That's what we're burning first. That and tax law. And, um,. Yeah. No, I think it actually works. But I think writing is weird and everyone has their, like, yeah. method. So it's not prescriptive. But I do think it's, like, very good. Me and Julian. I do morning pages typing. You, he That's does do cool. it typing. That's fine. I mean... But more than one or two radio plays, we have morning pages to thank for. Yeah. I have a, I have like a bunch of unreleased ones that just felt like they were too... Cliche or something. Yeah. Um, but, but you that's the great that's the great thing about white pages is, yeah, is you it just is embrace it. And then yeah. and you do have very good ideas kind of come naturally in the morning. Like sometimes you'll have really good I always hated this too when I was making music a lot more. The best like songs would just pop in my head at three in the morning, like thirty minutes after I've been like trying to fall asleep. But, yeah. And it's really like you have to get up and put them down, you know? So but I still think that halfway sleep awake brain is still kind of there in the morning yeah, and it's yeah, actually a, a yeah. good creative it's time. It's non-judgmental. You're yeah. just like, whatever, I don't fucking yeah. care. Yeah. And then it allows you to get there much faster than when you're like, I really care, this has to be great. Yeah, yeah, I'm a yeah. genius. Let's do this. Well, since we have Dan joining us too, and I was thinking that maybe we could spend a moment reconstituting what the performance of self in 2008 versus 2022, what wow. the ideal self was. <laughs> like, uh, I came in midstream. I remember my first connection to Berlin was hearing about new theater when I was still in New York, and I just booked tickets to all your whatever that was, booking tickets. I think the only sending one. Sending an email to me and Max, and we'd be yeah. like, "Who's Carly?" Yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. yeah, and I would show up, and then I would do my best to perform some art critic in this space that was actually a theater and I always thought that was very funny but like how did that how did that individual that ideal individual or maybe just personally how did that change from 2008 to 2022 in your book you do an excellent job of drawing these archetypes and drawing these characters um, but maybe just even free associatively like what are some of the things that come I to mean, mind I mean well like it was just, I think we were all much more naive in a way of how one created like the self avatar of self. Yeah. And like, I think that's because we didn't have the platforms and we didn't have the like rehearsal yeah. of five years of Facebook behind us yeah. to like know how to do it. So in some ways, I think it was a much more pure time. And I don't know, people showed up. I really appreciated that. It was a time period when everyone came to everything. I don't know, but I kind of want to hear Dan's response to this since he had gotten <laughs> to I, Berlin before me. Yeah, Dan, so maybe you, preface this with well, like your own biography. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to generalize something like this where it's not about what you're like when you're 20 versus 35. I don't know. But yes, it's also a story of technological development and 
sociopolitical development and tastes changing and all that stuff too. But yeah, well, we're not asking you to. Unpack. But Dan, just say yeah, for one second, there. like just so, we, just just tell your story. What was that, Dan? Who who washed up in Berlin and when did that happen? That was that wilding out art school, really caring about individuation in general as a uh, commodity, uh, caring a lot about personal brand in a really like earnest way, yeah. kind of. Um, yeah, I think naive is a perfect way to describe just, yeah, the idea of personal brand was just very unformed and there were less prescribed outlets for performing those things. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a very different time. I can, I can just say this that. This is probably not Nick or Dan, but it has to, to some degree, be informed by that energy. Can I just read one line? Sure, please. Um, on the train, this is probably not you, it's probably more Nick, Dan, but on the train mm-hmm. he was chatty mm-hmm. and whipped out his laptop to show me a 3D rendering of a giant alien giving a peace sign that he was fabricating for his next art show. He, like <laughs> most people in the bar, was both an artist and a DJ. So, okay. I don't know if that well, was you, but it could have been, been, been you. <laughs> it was Nick. It was Nick, okay. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of things haven't changed that much, to be honest, I guess. Um, yeah, no longer. Wait, what year did you DJ. move to Although, Berlin? 2006. Uh-huh. Right, wow. Yeah, damn. it was the fall of 2006. Yeah. Ancient. And you came when, 2008? I came in 2008, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think it has changed quite a bit. I showed up here super stupid, and then the city, like, hyper-industrialized while I was, like, trying to grow up at the uh-huh. same time. So there's this, like, question mark of, like, did it happen to me or did it happen to the city? Oh, yeah, That totally. I think everyone has. And, like, there is this thing with Berlin where everyone says you got here too late, and it's just, like, the joke is that there's a T-shirt that we pass from one person <laughs> to the next to the next. Right, that's, right, like, right, right. here too late. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, culture-wise, I think it's, like, really confusing confusing right now. Yeah, I actually definitely. things make things made more sense back then. Like I think there was also oh, yeah. this like attempt yeah. at trying to be like, this is Berlin. And like right. now no one would ever fucking say that because no one has any clue. That's so true. And I think like the abstraction of how little we all know is like very clear now. Whereas I think back then we were like based in Berlin or no, like, right. whatever weird bullshit. We were all really willing to like hop on board and believe in it because there was this type of naivete and there was this type of like not being sure what it was or willingness to show up I still think like and I think that was really important for Max and I's work because we were doing these big performance things and theater things and you just like need an audience yeah so like and like you can ask for people's time here in a way that you couldn't in New York and like back then it was still was cheap so like people were moving here with nothing to do which I think is the best version of moving anywhere so of course, Berlin was like five years behind New York when it comes to it's media formats. Years behind. Or yeah, even 10 years behind. I mean, I remember my favorite thing is thinking about DISC coming to do the Berlin Biennale. They came in 2014 for the 2016 Berlin Biennale. And of course, DISC very like digitally literate using flash interfaces that required high bandwidth and getting to Cave and being like, oh, we're still on like 3G here. And like you max out your cell phone every month because they'd assume you wouldn't want that much data. You know, the opening of your book starts with people loading coal into a furnace. And that's like actually, I mean, there are still apartments in Berlin that are heated with coal bricks. Um, But I'm just wondering, like, in terms of the media read, has your feeling about, like, I remember in 2008, it was, 
like O32C would do party pages where they'd send their like slick photographers to do like fashion. Slick, slick. slick hair McGillicuddy? Slick hair McGillicuddy, yeah. And uh, people would show up because they'd also know that they might be photographed and they would be able yeah, to leverage that. That's like the beginning of the transition of where people are showing up to be seen. That's right. And like that there's like this relationship to like showing up to show up and then showing up to be seen and then showing up to be seen to be photographed to be seen. Yeah. And now we're at a stage where people show up to take photographs to show that they were seen. Yeah. As people who make photos, we've always been very interested in that and like with new theater, we didn't let any photographs go out. That you took. That we took. Yeah. Other people could take them. And like, I just think Berlin has a really funny relationship to image rejection. But at this point, like, there's a version of Berlin on Instagram and TikTok that's like really cringe and funny and like has to do with like Shein and like the Berkheim <laughs> line. And like, I was just on mushrooms at Berkheim, like looking at what everyone was wearing and I was just like losing my <laughs> fucking mind. Wait, can you talk a little bit more about image rejection? Yeah. So like, Berlin has this thing where like, I mean, like, obviously, Berkheim, you can't take photos. And like, part of yeah. that is the same with Max and I. It's like, it's self preservation. It's like embarrassing. Like, the photo. <laughs> aren't going to be good. The Wolfgang Tillman's, oop, one of my bartenders is here, so I'm going to open the door. Yeah. Also the Google Street View, like the oh, fact yeah. that half of Google Street View is blurred out and the, all the photos are from 2008, which was the last time they were allowed to is that <laughs> take true? them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been playing this game GeoGuessr and you can very easily tell Germany from Austria because... It looks like 2008 and half the buildings are blurred out. That's um, so funny. Yeah. And is that like so something no, that Our we'll, neighborhood is empty. Yeah, our neighborhood Maps. looks to, totally really different. Wild. Yeah. Because you could elect, you could personally elect to have your address blurred out of Google Love Street GDPR. View, which is just such a, such a which German is thing. This? I think it's only Germany oh, that's, with that, the, that knows that. Yeah. Google Street yeah, yeah, View. Yeah, it's yeah, the same yeah. type of image, but that it also like connects obviously to the DDR and to this idea of yeah. being watched. And like we opened the bar and called it TV and everyone was like, so are you watching us? Like, but it was like only the Germans who were like, are That's you so watching funny. us? And they were like, we're in the cameras. And Max and I had to be like, oh, like we have to have like a little disclaimer in German. But also like I'm also obsessed with like these pictures that people take of the like stickers from Berkheim over their camera lenses. Yeah. And it's so funny yeah. now right. that they have to add three to these fucking iPhone whatever. It's like so aggressive. But Inflation of yeah, they, and then I went back and they're just a giant sticker, which is uh, like disgusting. Yeah. Somehow it feels like oh, a mm. condom. I don't yeah. know. It's like that gets much. like the Baldessari aesthetic. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I did just see Cobra Snake the other night in effect, and he is having a full renaissance. Yeah. Let me just tell you. So I do think maybe showing up to get a professional photo taken is back. Um, no, I totally agree. And I think like because we're like in this moment where everyone is snorting like the early aughts, there is this like desire. Also, I think it's post-COVID. Like a Coachella photo is cooler than it used to be because presence yeah, is like true. has a value that's higher. But yeah, no. It's edgier, inherently it's edgier. It's inherently edgier. You're doing something sort of wrong. Um, but I do right. think that like the imaging of what a party looks like is coming back. Do you think it's changed at all? Like are there things that you feel are foregrounded now that 
maybe weren't before. I think everyone person. knows how to pose much better. That's true. And it's like yeah. we're really, really professional posers. I mean, also, we aren't like the people who are like five years, ten years younger yeah. than us are really, really good at it. And I think also COVID. There's no shame. Yeah, and COVID gave them time to just like really <laughs> fucking hone that bedroom. Workshop. Workshop that bedroom, like Sheen Hall, like whatever. Like it's yeah, just Yeah, the insane. Sheen Hall definitely helped. Yeah. yeah. And it's so like I think we're also in this like funny moment of a convergence of an old type of image politics mixed with like a kind of hyper professionalization of how to do it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Much more visual literacy in general, just about how to totally. Frame yeah, and, and they like as well for sure. Yeah, I mean, they know exactly what they can't do. Yeah. And they know exactly what their strengths are. Like, can you imagine if someone went back to 2008 and, like, <laughs> told me not to, like, I can't, like... And in the book, I think it's funny, I'm obviously really interested in everyone's fashion from that time period, and the yeah. book is called Other People's Clothes. But I think, like, there's this relationship to costuming that we were just, again, so naive and, like, kind of, like... Athleisure. I mean, Dan. I feel like you were a proponent. Oh wait, what? There's health another ter- health. Health. <laughs> health yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I definitely. Yeah. You participated. <laughs> you I can't deny uh, that. Yeah, that was more. I think Nick. Nick is really responsible for that. Like he. He is one of the actual few people in the world that I would. I would call responsible. That <laughs> had a top knot and wearing Under Armour. Yeah. I think it was like him and Ryder Rips actually <laughs> oh were my pretty God, that's so funny. early in that turn from uh, indie sleaze into health. Uh, yeah, but. Yeah, 2008 Berlin. So 2008 Berlin, and then, so now, it's funny, it's like you've pushed it to the extreme. You're like, the bar is actually a set foremost. There's this understanding that it's going to be precuperated, that you're entering into a space that is like part of an artist's practice. Not everybody who comes here knows that that's necessarily what's happening, but many, but your friends do. Our our friends do. I think it's... I mean, this is like the kind of strength I think of this space is a lot of people don't feel like they're walking into an artwork, which I think is like part of the problem of new theater and part of the problem of some of our other projects. This one is the first one that's like fully legal and like we pay taxes on everyone and everything and it's like insane and Max has turned into this like burger omped like (laughs) gorilla, like he can do anything. So there's this relationship to like reality that I'm like I also like kind of can't deal with art right now because nothing feels real. Totally. And so for me, like I just don't I like can't I don't know, something broke inside of me, I think, in like the past five years with the art world and like the only way I'm interested in making things is if I feel like they're connected to something that's like real. Yeah. And so like it's a very simple idea, but I think that's kind of like the motion yeah. for wanting to have the space, have this like hyper-functionality to it. I was trying to find this old club in Berlin that everyone, but I guess it closed in 2007. Mm. It was called... Rio? Yes, Rio. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Tell us about Rio. Yeah, Dan. It was cool. It was, okay, there was definitely some parallels aesthetically. It was really like half-ruined kind of tile interior... Yeah, like I think it who was it was run by one of the people who did that. Was it Paloma? Was it mm-hmm. um oh. the room that what the place that gave you free spaghetti? Oh my god. Yeah, apartment. 
apartment. Yeah. yeah. I think it was run by one of the, the guys that, that did sense. apartment where yeah. you could an apartment was one of the first places where Nick and I ever did an installation. And that's where I met yeah. everyone. I met Dan DeNorch there and I thought he was the most annoying person on the planet. <laughs> he was really loud back then. There's been a huge shift and like I also think he would be an interesting person to like do a timeline on. That is true. And, like, that, that is very true. true. He knows it to Dan DeNorch. Yeah. And I do think Dan DeNorch is funny to bring up because it's like yeah the off ramps are well, Hollywood or Web3, it seems like. And I guess he, he took the Web3 route. Yeah, but He's I mean, a, also worked at Berkheim for a long time after. I mean, there is this, oh, yeah. like, he yeah. really has put in these kind of, like, mountains of what Berlin is and <laughs> seems to have climbed them Absolutely. all. Absolutely. So I am always curious. as to, like, And he doesn't come out that often, but yeah. when he does, I'll, like, if I have plans, I cancel them because yeah. I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> I have a quick background question, though. One more is I remember in 2003, I knew this girl who moved to Berlin and she wrote me a letter from Berlin that was very cryptic, but it sounded like I was making a mistake not moving to Berlin. But moving to Berlin seemed like a very alien thing for me in the early 2000s as an American. I didn't have the first idea how you could do it how a visa would work? Could you move to Berlin? Would I have to learn German first? What was the pipeline to just being like for you all that like, oh, you can just go to Berlin and live there? We went on exchange. We're yeah, <laughs> same. students oh. who never left. We are same. The it's the exact same story. <laughs> and, but I also my joke is always that the DAAD worked too well and they ruined the city. Because, like, they got all these Say artists. Say D-A-A-D is. It's, like, this, like, artist residency program that got started in the early aughts, late 90s. I don't know the history on it. But it's, like, they got, like, all sorts of amazing artists to come here and stay here and, like, do drugs and party and have fun and made it seem really great. And, and like, then, thinkers and philosophers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, like Gen X, like, professors. Yeah, Columbia yeah. professors. Exactly. Like, and be a professor in, like, a profoundly yeah. cool way yeah. that they couldn't in New York. And, like, I think there was some sort of performative identity of Berlin that D-A-D actually like ruined the city because then like everyone came but I also it was Erasmus and so we just were on exchange and then kind of figured out how to do it I mean when I got here it's like I had no friends and like no way of making friends and I think yeah. now it's much easier to be like figure everything out and kind of have your network. There, yeah. were, there weren't like blogs no. to like tell you how to get a visa no. yet. It was, I mean, I remember when Nick and I arrived and we were exchange students, but even for exchange students, there was just like no, no infrastructure or information yeah. and no social network for expats that was readily available. I mean, it took us a couple of weeks before we did meet those people, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's much easier. No toy town? Sure. I'm pretty sure there was toy town, but it was just like really general questions right. like how do you put a coal brick in a fire like, I'm like I remember like Toy yeah, Town was, was like it was Toy Town like 0.0 like I, I'm pretty sure it was there because like I mean I have these questions that I could ask some of it has to do with the book but some of it is maybe more generalized I mean there is this interest in a pedagogical model this canon that's been imparted upon Malens by the end of the 20th century like Bard 
you know, there's a, yeah. you know, maybe arguably it still is the canon and it's uh, like completely valid, but how our initial view of Berlin was so much determined theoretically by this 20th century canon. And you see that in your book repeatedly. But I think that also comes back to this thing about being on exchange. Yeah, and you're right. like just this like idiot in a kayak with a bunch of books that they just yeah. read at like whatever school you came from. And you're like, how does Bart's apply to my yeah. life here where there's like clubs and like no friend? Like, yeah. So I think like the character Haley, she really believes in the canon. And she's also just like really not willing to actually make an artwork. Yeah. Which like, and I think those things coming together is somehow very much what Berlin was at this time. Yeah. Like no one was like, we were all trying to make things, but like there was this molasses about like what meaning was going to be at that point. Do you think, I mean, because that canon for me is still, it's like a distant referent. It's not as active, definitely. Do you think that's in part because the world has changed so radically over the past, you know, 20 years, let's say, that that framework has broken down a bit? Or do you think that's an age thing? In no, I think 20s? it's also like now we realize like the canon is like racist and sexist yeah, and right. colonial and we've had like an absolute <laughs> expansion and everyone who's like coming out of school now hopefully has like a more yeah. broad, you know, we were like still had Jansen's like fucking, t- you know, and I just saw it and I was like, God damn, there's like four women in it. But that like buttresses up against social media and everyone becoming kind of more literate in all the ways that like... I don't know. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious then about adapting. So you have this bar, you're making a TV show. During COVID, when the bar was closed, you spent a lot of that time writing your first novel and maybe starting your second. But now you're also in the process of adapting your novel for TV. So there's like a lot of, there's a lot of this translation that's happening. Yeah. What are some of, I mean, kind of a stock question, but like literally what are some of the challenges of taking this novel, which was meant for a broad audience, have seen it in airports and that's so exciting. Yeah, uh, really, yeah, double day, that's like a double days. old. Yeah, like full on. It's probably started in what, the 19th century or something? Yeah, by probably. a penguin. Like, yeah. 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 But so now, like, where, what are some of the pressure points for you? Like, what are some of the things? Because obviously every kind of production you've done has had pressures. Obviously working at the Volksbühne was like a crazy hazing, but this must also be challenging in particular ways. Well, I think like the art world always looks really bad on camera. Mm, It's like just a really cheap joke. It's like, I've never, everyone's like, but the square. (laughs) And I'm like. No, yeah, it's never been done fully. It's never been done well. And I think. What was it, the Gallery Girls show? Oh Oh, yeah, um, Lena Dunham. I think that was kind of the best. That was hilarious, (laughs) yeah. Um, Making fun of uh, wines from Oregon. That's yeah. like all I can the show, but um, but I think that that's a good satire. Otherwise, yeah, no, there's like so work. that's really bad. And the other thing that's really bad is partying. Like parties always look bad. I actually think that like that last episode of Euphoria, the part no, the first one, sorry, the party episode was really good, and I was kind of like, fuck, okay, so maybe it's possible. Yeah, but like this kind of intersection of like the art world and partying, it's like, how the fuck do you make that work? So that for me is like a huge question. And then the question of like, what sort of art is everyone making? And like, I'm very obsessed with this like Mel Chin piece that he did with his class called the Gala Project, where they made artworks that then got put into Melrose Place as props. His class had this production line. And like, if you look at Melrose Place, there's this amazing PDF where they show all the props in screenshots being used in the offices or as the painting behind the desk. I am really interested in how you inject art 
mm. into the thing itself and like because like with the plays at New Theater we always sort of thought of them as expanded group shows and like is that a methodology for being like okay this TV series is seven episodes we're going to think of it as like a deconstruction group show <laughs> or like how do you deal with the practices of the girls because they're all artists and like everyone has to have a practice and then like what the fuck is that art <laughs> and like how do you make that and do you ask artists that you're interested in or do you just like go like full Pinterest like do you like because art always looks terrible yeah you know and it's like I think it's really funny to describe and I love talking about the art world and writing but when you put it back into like having to represent it it becomes really complicated so that's something I'm very hung up on that's so true. Like, how do you keep it from just looking like art school confidential? Because yeah, it becomes totally. so tropey so easily. And the nuance is usually transmitted through like personal relations, yeah. context, the je ne sais pas. How do you not become like you're like trying to like stuff like art history down people's throats right. in a way that's meaningful? There's like some sort of, I don't know, like there has to be a tilt in between that's like funny. But I, don't fucking know and yeah. I don't know if they'll even listen to me enough to make it not you know like it's like there's these question marks about the process that I don't even know so at this stage you're wait I have an idea though yeah. I think Let's on TV it. you never show like the full club or the full party yeah I think that's the problem the blocking is too good they're always like spreading people out evenly to yeah. like fill the space yeah. no I think they should shoot it all with like long lenses on Steadicam so everything is all like compressed and you can barely see who's there you can just see that there's bodies that's okay. what I think that's a really good point because okay you're hired that's great <laughs> that's true because like the experience of parties is always like at the gaze of a few like of a meter basically yeah. it's like not you don't and have trying a, to find the bathroom right. trying to the bathroom. Are, there's yeah. like these cycles of how you move through a space it's like trying to find the bar trying to find the bathroom and trying to find that friend that's it right yeah so then I guess those are the pathways yeah, yeah. I think only it's always like the boomer executive producers like no, we're gonna we need some production a big scene yeah. You need yeah. to see the Someone needs to get pushed into the pool with a drink in their hand. Yeah. 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 I don't think you need to do that. You just need to <laughs> yeah. feel claustrophobic and right. bodies everywhere. True, yeah, true. Yeah, so that's something we're thinking a lot about. And yeah. you can't shoot in bear kind. Um, right. So that's also a conversation of like you, how you... You can't even use the like real names of the real... So you have to have a fake Yeah, and that's right? this other thing. It's like they're obsessed with law and order and now we had to take that out because we legally can't say law and order. Like there's all these things where like things get scrapped and you're like, wait, what? Oh, and like I really want Katerina Sieverding to be the teacher oh, who's amazing. not even in the book because like I think she has this perfect relationship to like image and identity Definitely. that will look good on camera. Yeah. But like now I have that was my professor. It was really um, yeah. She was she was Nick and I's. That's, so that's when we first moved to Berlin. Wow, House. those works will translate really well to the camera yeah. and like yes. deal with all these things. So it's like so funny to then and like I really want to do the cave. Oh my god, what's his fucking name? Who did the beer pyramid? Oh, Cyprian Gaillard. Yeah. Be I know great for that. Oh, I so know pop. it's not the right timeline. It's 2011, but I don't care. We're just gonna rip it if he'll it's let okay. us. Okay, he was totally in the zeitgeist. So, but like the, he definitely was. There's yeah. also these questions of like, is it okay to cherry pick from time? And like, do we need yeah. to be really like honest? No one is gonna get upset that you. Oh uh, no, someone will, Dan. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's okay. like the Cyprian yeah, Gaillard timeline. That's like the comedy. Also, if you've been writing a book, it's like people get upset about everything, you know, and like. Well, sure. So it's yeah. like. But I think, like, the second you start dealing with these sort of histories, it's, like, which aren't even histories, lol, at yeah. that. But it's, like, people are, like, lol. But maybe that's good because yeah. people getting mad just, like, generates Reddit pages. And yeah, that so makes that's probably hype, good. So. But, 
But I have to ask him. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. Like, I'm asking him now. Um, but these are like <laughs> conversations that we're having that are like, I mean, the alien sculpture, Dan, that'll be in it because that's really easy to show. Oh, yeah. That's great. Do you need an OMG sculpture? I think we <laughs> yeah, know how to they get go you an to OMG party sculpture. <laughs> at Dan's studio. Nick and, there's a scene at Nick and Dan's studio and they had... Which was your studio which, after yeah, ours. Yeah, but let's just call it yours. It's, for me, it was always your studio because it was your studio first. That party was like really amazing and yeah. it had this... N- neon tubing it's not neon it's like l wire l wire of a snake eating a snake which like will also be in it so there's these things that like i'm very excited about coming back as yeah. like objects that are real well nick probably has the uh 3d files somewhere i don't think i have them anymore if you want to actually okay. get it reproduced i will give you my permission okay, that's great <laughs> thank you um wait just to be clear though you wrote a young adult Novel. It's technically a young adult novel, it's right? It's not. It's a oh. thriller. But lots of people think Wait, it's why YA did, because it's like Where did the YA the come, part come from? It's like... Why a thriller people, When you were first writing it, I think you were talking about... You were maybe reading or talking about young adult fiction. So a I think lot, that's... Yeah. yeah. But then it got, it got optioned. And it. is there already a pilot shot or is the it already... The pilot is picked? not shot and we're still writing it. Because oh, okay. there was a kind of shift with the production company that we're working with. So And we're now looking at doing... 30-minute episodes, 10 30-minute episodes, which is also exciting and kind of interesting to think about how you chop and screw something and what allows for different types of storytelling. And I think a shorter version of things allows for kind of um, more... Um, like what you're thinking, Julian, like kind of like more claustrophobic. Yeah. Like you can kind of get into something and then get out of it without having to like fully explain it with like the backup pan to the like yeah. Coachella looking very <laughs> moment and then like the pool fall. I just wanted to clarify this timeline because we kind of just offhandedly That's true. Yes. We're, we're just mentioning it. things like books yeah. being no. picked up by Doubleday and signed to TV shows. And, and we are we're working on the script to, collapse to, of media though. of what's allowed. Yeah. Oh, right, so that's why right, things right, are getting right. dealt with in yes. and so, or But it is or. a thriller novel that is set in 2008 and follows two girls who go on exchange and they stumble on Craigslist onto like an apartment that's for let and it turns out to be from a famous crime writer. And they move in and they feel very excited, like won the jackpot. It's like really beautiful and big and like filled with books. But they soon realize that this writer is watching them and that her next book is about them. And then they realize that they're really shitty characters and they want to start performing for her because they want to become the type of people who are kind of like worthy of a novel. So the whole book kind of deals with these layers of like who's watching who and performance and the way they sort of start controlling their narrative is by throwing parties in their apartment. So the apartment becomes this sort of stage for everything to happen. And the characters are based on people you really know. So it's an abe- a mise en beam of performance and performance and performance. Yeah, you know. totally. And yeah. like I moved here in 2008 and moved into a well-known author's house with my best friend Mia, who like was not a sociopath and no one ended up dead. <laughs> and like, So I think like for me, it was very fun to gut the truth and fill it with as like kind of high camp as possible, but then keep a lot of details. Right. And it's Nick, like fanfic Nick Cosmos. Yeah, it's very kind much of. fanfic for my friends. <laughs> and Nick Cosmos had an alien head with a uh, taking a bong hit, not giving a peace sign. I think it was I'm, I'm joking. I, mean, I don't know. No, it's that one is very true to form. <laughs> that one I remember really clearly. <laughs> and I was like, they're not gonna be mad. I don't care. Um, 
<laughs> so when the book was released and it did well and there was lots of attention, you were on like a buzz whirlwind tour. Were you thinking about going to LA? Did you almost do it? Did you try it? Did you, what is the, but now you said, I think when we got here, you said you wanted to stay in Berlin. So what was that arc? Well, I think like the winter broke me, like in a way that I had never been broken by a Berlin winter. And I was just like, "Um, let's go to LA. Yeah. And I was working on another script and then I'm working on another book which I just finished and is now out for submission, which is the worst feeling in the world because oh, yeah. mm. you just wait. But um, so I was there like kind of talking about all of that with people and I was like living in my friend's house in Beverly Hills and I, it was like a complete state of delusion. I was going to see Dan, but he got COVID. And um, yep. we all kind of <laughs> got true. into the delusion and then at one point like something snapped and we were like, wait, no. And then I came back to Berlin and really liked it again. So I don't know. But you felt yourself changing into, I did. into an but LA person, I, like, and you, and I couldn't you figure it. out. So, like in Berlin, like you could never be like, "Hi, my name is Kelly. I'm like a genius. I'm great. I'm really smart. I wrote this thing." Like in Berlin, you're just like you don't even tell people what you do That's for a true. living. It's rude. So, like the brain psychology of having to show up for these meetings and like figure out how to like reprogram yourself. So, like I feel like I had to become a new robot. Like, I had to, like, have this full lobotomy to be able to function there in a certain way. Right. And then, um, I don't know, I don't think it's for us somehow. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but America is number one because it's, like, it, it's auto, it's, like, ballsy it with its auto fiction. It's, like, extreme auto fiction. Like, so we went out one night, and we were, like, I just drank a bunch of tequila. It was my first night where I didn't have a meeting the next day, and then I got an email that was, like, you have a meeting at 9, and I showed up sort of hammered but I was the best I had been because I was just like yeah so this is great it's the best thing you're ever going to see and then like that's actually how you're supposed to be and I was like I got out of that and I was like whoa and then like I could kind of materialize that for myself from then on out I could like get to that place but I wasn't sure if that was like a healthy (laughs) Mm. well I'll just say that my personal LA experience I mean I'm very much not in Hollywood, and it's actually not that different, my lifestyle there. Yeah. It, um, but Dan, you've had to do, I mean, for one, a lot of your life exists between the computer and like very bucolic yes. spaces. You're either like <laughs> in exactly. a so forest you or you're like, yeah, Dan. you could live anywhere and probably have a very, well, you've, yeah, you've sure. forged yeah, this yeah, world yeah. for yourself that's like very. Like, damn. I want to like smoke cigarettes at a cafe. You know, yeah. like I have like a fantasy right. that doesn't work in LA. <laughs> um, just, and there's like a sheen of denial. We were saying this just before we started recording, but it's like in Berlin, you feel very materially like you're in the forefront of the West engaging with reality. Yeah, they're like, like it's going to be a cold winter. Yeah, we're they're like, like okay. we're rationing energy and you know food prices are going up and we're going to absorb refugees. They're reinstalling and, coal furnaces I in know. our apartments. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I just don't, why is that Why is that appealing to you guys? I don't know. Personally, that's a, I am so relieved to uh, to be free of, of that specific uh, We love how your lobotomy vibe. looks, Dan. Yeah. It looks so good <laughs> looks on you. looks great on you, yeah. 
Um, no, I'm not excited about the cold, dark, cold yeah. winter. Oh, great! No, I'll be in LA this winter down for two months. So yeah. I'll see that. Well, I was going to ask a question about gatekeeping, but I'm not exactly sure how to formulate this. So we run or we co-run a server with other people in the community who help us set a tone, and you run many, many different spaces that are open to the public. With TV bar being most explicitly so, do you have any? key tips or lessons you've learned in terms of how to gatekeep without gatekeeping, how to gatekeep while still being very open and accepting? Because it's like a really hard thing to do. And obviously platforms haven't figured out how to do it. Bodies, it's a little bit different. But how do you, yeah, how do you set that framework so that people feel welcomed and yet there's still a sense of privacy or like positive exclusivity? When we opened this space, I was really like interested in talking with people who worked doors at clubs yeah. and bars because I think that's like a really interesting job where you develop language that has to deal with gatekeeping, but like particularly with queer bars, you have yeah. to do it in a way that's extremely specific. Like for instance, at Dyke Night, you have to say yeah. no to a guy. Exactly. Like- and so there's like, I think there's this thing like, and I talked with Natus and I who did the door at Mobile Ofo for a long time. And she would always ask people, like, are you sure you want to be here? And there's just, like, I thought it was so genius because it just turns it on them. And then the second that happened, people kind of registered. If they It, like, turned a lot of people away because they would be like, oh, no, that's not for me. You know, she would explain it and then ask them, like, do you feel comfortable? Are you sure? So, like, I think there's lots of different ways to do it. I don't know. I mean, like, I think just, like, setting things up platonically is really important. Like, allowing it to attract the people who will be attracted to it and not trying to force a pedagogy or a meaning or a system onto it. And I think in that way, TV Bar has been maximized, like, best version of it because it sort of just allows, like, the people who come here are the people who want to be here. There's kind of, like, I couldn't handle forcing things anymore. It's, like, I think that comes from learning... Lots of lessons. And that's also why we have to close all the time. Because I think the second things become too clear on what they are, they become uninteresting. And people stop trying to figure out how they fit within it. Yeah. And people stop questioning what that like model or system is. And so like for me it's only interesting as we're building it and like attracting and like rejecting things just like naturally. But we also have like someone who works the door here, and like I think COVID was really interesting because it developed a lot of language mm. about like who can come in and who can't, and like this current episode of the, the that we're working on, it's like follows for paradise. This, for paradise, yeah, follows this character because it was like funny to all of a sudden have to have someone who sort of represents the bar, and it's Yasha who's like amazing and young and just like loves telling people to fuck off. So like. <laughs> I I think also this year or these past years have changed kind of what gatekeeping means. That's true. I think it became easier to gatekeep because you had to, like, legally, which was frustrating. And so I think we're all trying to figure out how to undo that somehow. There's also this, like, reversal of expectation where I love that, like, at Mobile Offer, which is a bar in Kreuzberg, which has, like, different nights which are dedicated to, like, different kinds of scenes, where the expectation is put on the guest, the visitor, not the bar. Because, like, and Berkheim does this too, the expectation isn't that the bar delivers or the club delivers. The expectation is that you are going to be bringing it to this space. And I think that's so important. Yeah, like asking you. Like, I just love that she turned the question on it. And that for me was very 
informative. Yeah, like you, know? you can gatekeep yourself. Yeah. If you're up for this, this is what yeah. you're going to find. If it's not for you, you don't need yeah. to be here. Yeah, that's great. I guess when you wrote your book, you you made it a thriller. And I also realized, like I would, we're working on this radio play series called Ricky Backtrace Private Trend Consultant and it's a I did it as like a, a mystery like a yeah. film noir private investigator detective kind of mystery because I realized that like genre tropes and genre formats are just an easy way of like hacking attention yeah. and allowing you to just unfold your ideas within a framework that's always going to keep people engaged and is that why you did a thriller? Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, it's like I always think of a thriller as like the strongest motor. You can attach anything to a thriller. You can like blah blah about Bart's and no one whines. Yeah. You know, it's like you can all of a sudden like kind of throw in all of your weird thoughts about all of these different things. And like a thriller is this sort of speedboat that just kind of like moves very quickly through whatever dead water you throw at it. And it's like I can't give up the format now. I love it. You have these passages that are just like so, like, it, yes, so thriller is the format, but the language that you use in these passages brings to mind so clearly these very Berlin moments. I love it. I felt unstoppable. I talked with a group of guys setting up their own magazine, a Venezuelan girl starting a gallery, a Croatian dancer making workout tapes with artists, a spiky-haired guy in a black hoodie talking about marks. I pressed my back against the wall. It reminded me of the bar in Star Wars, all these outer space creatures from planets. I had heard of grinding on each other and smoking cigarettes. How had they all gotten here? Where had they been? It goes on, but like they're just these, these passages that, I mean, it's very visually stimulating. I hope so. But yeah, I mean, and then you can pack all that into a thriller and it yeah. just moves you forward. Yeah. Um, my last question was, I mean, right in the over the past years of social media and Twitter and whatever, like language and symbols are imbued with like a lot of gravity. Statements are kind of recorded permanently and considered as like an individual making a declaration to everyone in the world. Um, and then I'm thinking of like an Irma Vep, like the Asayas show, there's a scene where the director gets in trouble with the crew for filming a scene that perhaps depicts a sexual assault. <sighs> and they kind of confront him as if including sexual assault in a work of fiction is like, they, it's like they got Laps. confused yeah. of whether it was like <laughs> reality really, or not. yeah, reality or not. And the, the director holds responsibility for a scene depicting an event. But I was also, you know, wondering if you still felt like there is a certain like moralism creep coming into fiction still, or is it safe? Like, are there, were there certain things that you wanted to tell in your book that the story gave you a vehicle to maybe explore the mess of certain things? I think like fiction writing allows for a bit more messiness because like there has to be bad characters. Like if there right. aren't bad characters, how can we all exist? And I think within our like demands of myth and like you need to have these characters for these stories and to you function. And you have them in your yeah. like and a minute they're there. I think fiction, right, it's like interesting because you're also, and this goes back to like how do you represent, once you put these things into images, they do become like more, there's also just more people involved with like green lighting them, mm -hmm. you know, and being like we're all having to make this like sexual assault image come to life. <laughs> like then we all like feel like marked by that. But no, I think fiction, I mean, I think there is this like push to have things be moral, but I think... It's an amoral 
it's still a rodeo to like test bad things. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, because like Trump is real. Like we right. have to, you know, it's like all these things are real. Like what are you like going to act like there's not fascists who like say terrible yeah. things? Our externalization is happening through real media, or through yeah. real world things. And then we have yeah. this idea that by not talking about them in fiction or in art, we'll somehow no, like. So, right. That's another so lobotomy. Right. And yeah. it's like, and I think it's also like a problem. Like there are racist people and they get into fights with people. And then those fights become like how people actually deal with it. I don't know. I think when you ignore it, and that is something like with like the LA brain lobotomy thing that I think <laughs> is really scary. This like acting like this whole universe of bad characters doesn't exist. Right. Like, Netflix doesn't let people smoke cigarettes who aren't villains. Like, there's this whole, <laughs> like, there's this, like, everything gets chopped and screwed in this way that's, like, very, very weird and black Can and white. Can they Jewel, now that Jewel is Yeah, I actually banned. have no idea. I should no, find Jewel out. No, Jewel got, un- my brother said they banned it for three yeah, days. Yeah, they got a reprieve. They, they had to they had to go back because I, I, I'm sure some pollster was like, Biden, you're going to lose yeah. if yeah. you don't undo this ban. Um, well, we may lose anyway. But. I mean, so, yeah. 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 But, but I mean, f- fiction is really good for, it's a good place to show the mess. And yeah. I think people are going to start relying on fiction more and more to tell big ideas. Yeah. It seems like the safest place to do it now. Of course, the club has always been a fictive place too. And so that's the right. thing, like, you know, dressing yourself up to go out to a club is also like a fantasy space. The real world well. is a fantasy space too. What is isn't a fantasy everywhere. space. Yeah. everywhere. So I just bought a giant TV. Did you? It comes here on nice. Tuesday. <laughs> Max and I bought Very matching Very un of you. Yeah. Whoa. But yeah. you don't do the projector thing on the wall? Fuck no, I'm living Projectors in the future. Projectors are worse than TVs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Objectively. Objectively worse. I have worse. become Americanized. <laughs> You have yeah. a silver a screen. Way. No, I. But you can like move it around and like that's you can you just have your but like Bluetooth speaker. You can move a TV around. Too. Yeah, you can put it on a it, put it on a stand. It is on a stand. stand. Oh, that's Mine cool. stands up. But isn't it like weird and like the colors like oversaturated? Don't and, care. Like, no, <laughs> they're good. They're better. Yeah. It's you're stuck in 2005 I, with your I, Beamer. I haven't made is, the is uncanny. It's still TV. The like new 4K OLED TVs or whatever. Still it takes look, three they days. Still look, you'll get used to it. They still look uncanny <laughs> no, valley to me. Three days. No, no, no. You get used to it, and everything else looks weird afterwards for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. We're yeah, definitely, definitely still in the like uh, torrenting films in low quality and beaming them. I don't know. On a, I bridge, on a bedroom wall. Yeah. yeah, I can write off like lots of stuff because I True. work in TV. So I was like, oh, right. we're buying the fucking TV. <laughs> I mean, we, they, you, they, we all work in media. We could all write off a TV. I think. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Let's get real. Thank you, Dan. Congrats. <laughs> Well, yeah, that feels like a end of the Berlin era for sure. <laughs> Dan knows. Um, TV will like the revolution will be televised on a 4K, 110 centimeter yeah. flat screen in silent from 16 millimeters. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for other people's clothes. The RPG to uh, oh, come out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Any video um, game interest? I did just get asked for theater interest, but I was like, oh, that's too meta. I can't <laughs> do that. Like, but German, like oh. in German, I was just like, oh. Oh my god. But no, I think RPG would be more fun. So, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I would definitely Open VR World OP, 2008 OPC. Berlin. Metaverse. Yeah, I would uh, metaverse yeah. this cuz cuz all the outfits um, that would that be such would be a really good fun. moment. Yeah. Young is going to be busy. Yeah, yeah, Essence could maybe do a collab. Maybe that Essence would be great. could do some Tom Betridge is now there. Maybe you guys yeah. should. Yeah. Maybe Auto Linger launched in the digital fashion. Although yeah. I guess yeah. that it's too early though, 2000. Auto Linger launched in digital fashion should definitely be yes. linked to the OPC. We're going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Kala Hinkle, thank you for spending time with us this 
afternoon, evening. TV bar is now open for the night. So, if, uh, yes, but I guess by. if you're hearing this, it's already going to be a week later. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it is open Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays from 7 to when it closes. Yes. And um, Other People's Clothes is available in all formats in only in English, but English, maybe... German, Italian, and soon French. German is in September. Okay, Whoa. so stay tuned. Who's translating the German? Someone we know or no? no? I have okay. nothing to do with anything. <laughs> well, it's a great book. Uh, it's definitely the thing to bring with you if you're going to the beach this summer. Um, and you can read, read, and reread it. It's also a document of this era. And Max and Kala's work is... Do you guys have any shows that are coming up? We're going to do a show at Isabella's in November. We're going to show the film from here. Oh, cool. And then we're going to do that again, actually, in LA at O-Town House. Okay. So we're not doing oh. any shows until we close this bitch. So. Got it. <laughs> yes. All right. Check out their work. Check out, come to TV Bar if you're in Berlin. And maybe we'll do some designated night. We, maybe yeah, we should. That would be so that fun. Be really nice. Yeah, before we, totally we close, we have to do it all. I was going to have like four birthdays before it closes. Yeah. Just like, get them out of the way. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Well, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you guys. Thank you, Kala. Feel better, Max. And um, see you all next episode. Bye. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Models Podcast, and thank you, Kala, for coming on the show. TV Bar on Potsdamer Strasse, Berlin, is open every Thursday through Saturday from 7 p.m. on. And Kala's novel, Other People's Clothes, is available pretty much everywhere. New books are sold. Carly, Dan, and I are all stateside this month, albeit on opposite coasts. It's been a 48-hour blur of commercial pitches and America shock, so I have nothing to say about this visit yet. Although the vegetation seems supersized, Carly's mom has an app on her phone that keeps warning us about tornadoes, and Regal Cinemas still plays the same 3D roller coaster ride pre film call to snaction it did when I was a teenager. Yes, we saw Top Gun Maverick, and we have some takes. With my decade old Zoom recorder and a pop filter we just improvised out of old pantyhose and a coat hanger, we will be sharing more from the new world soon. So, see you next episode. This has been a New Models production. Music and mixing by Lil Internet. For more, visit patreon.com slash newmodels or newmodels.substack.com. For Web3 access, visit channel.xyz.